Hey, this is an edit to the podcast you're about to hear. On that podcast, I say that I'm featuring at the Punchline this weekend for Brent Morin, and I am not doing that anymore. I was fired from the show for exposing myself to a homeless man who was exposing himself. No, uh, Brent, it turns out, is bringing uh, his own feature, and there was a touch of miscommunication, and you should boycott all of the art. No, go see Brent Morin and whoever's featuring and also Nick Murphy's going to be hosting it. That's the biggest bummer is I'm not going to be working with Nick Murphy all weekend. But if you thought you were going to go see me at the punchline, I'm not going to be there. So, uh, but go see the show. Anyway, you'll have a great time and uh, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Getting My Act Together podcast for Tuesday, June 22nd, 2021. I hope your week is off to a great start or uh, whenever you listen to this, I hope you're in a good place. If you are listening to it close to the time that it came out and you are a dad, I hope you had a good Father's Day. <laughs> uh, I hope you're a good dad, too. I, I don't think that I am. I don't think that I'm not, but I, I presume, like most things that I would presume about myself, I presume that I'm an average dad. Uh, but you know what? If th- that day is for everybody who could ever call themselves a father, I suppose. So happy Father's Day to you. Mine was very, very sweet. My daughter, oh, and guess what I learned? According to one of the gifts I got, I am, I shouldn't say just an average dad, I am the, according to what it said, the world's best dad. So just want to clear that up for anybody, especially if you thought your dad was pretty great. It turns out, I don't know who I don't know who decided this, but uh, I am the world's best dad, and that is according to a koozie that my daughter's school had her paint on. <laughs> that was my Father's Day gift that my daughter made at school, a koozie that says "World's Best Dad." And as my wife pointed out, they probably were just going for either the most stereotypical thing: Dad's going to need a cold soldier on his birthday, or the uh, cheapest thing like we were able to acquire a bunch of koozies that said dad on them for 10 cents a piece and we'll let the kids scribble on them and give them to their dads so that's what i got from my daughter and her school and also yeah it is kind of stereotypical here give this koozie to your dad and on mother's day she finger painted on a shopping bag for my wife now are there some gender roles being reinforced there Absolutely. Is it true that my wife does most of the shopping for my house and I do most of the beer drinking out of koozies? Yeah, those things are also true. So maybe it's just good market research on the school's part. And then uh, with my wife's care and guidance, my daughter gave me some some fancy sunscreen and shaving lotion. So we're, we're dadding right down the line, checking all the dad boxes. Anyway, I hope you're well, and I hope you had a great weekend. The, if you're in Atlanta, as you know, every Tuesday night we have Limerick Comedy. That's happening tonight, June 22nd. Limerick, uh, the feature comic, we have a great lineup. Feature comic is Jay Badlani, who currently is the resident comic at the Laughing Skull Lounge. And Dan Weeks is in, in town. Limerick favorite Atlanta comedy legend. Dan Weeks is in town. 
Gabby Watts, a couple out-of-town comics, Jay Ward, Derek Marcel going to be there. So we'll have a good time at Limerick on this evening. June 22nd, show starts at 9 o'clock. And then if you want to see me do a longer set uh, when the room's already warmed up as opposed to hosting at Limerick and uh, (laughs) taking the bullet for everyone... It's not always fun going first on a show, and a lot of times it isn't, but it makes you better, I think. I will be taking the bullet at Limerick, but if you want to see me do longer sets this week, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I am at the Punchline in Atlanta featuring for Brent Morin. And you know who's hosting those? Fucking Nikki, all caps Murphy. So it's going to be, it could be a long, wet week, if you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, Limerick should be really fun tonight. I'm looking forward to it. And also in Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks are going to the NBA Conference Finals. This is not a big, as you know, a big sports talk podcast. I'm sure that if you're interested in sports and comedy, that there are plenty of people out there who do it uh, and certainly do it much better than I. I've had no allegiance to the Hawks over my 15-year residence in Atlanta, just how I am. I was a Laker fan all my life and still am. Uh, but I'm glad the Hawks won. They beat the Sixers. And afterward, I just want to, if there is anybody who pays attention to basketball and uh, listens to this podcast and also happens to watch TNT's NBA show with Charles Barkley and Shaq, and then, like, what is that Venn diagram of people who do that and listen to this podcast? It's like a pretty small one, I imagine. But Shaq is on there, and I love Shaq. He, but he, he talks a, a, a fair amount of shit about, like, toughness and... <laughs> I can talk shit at Shaq about toughness and heart and desire and all these, like, character-y kind of things. And I just want to say for younger audiences who know that Shaq does that, uh, when he played, people were not always praising his work ethic and his ability to go twice as hard as everybody else and be there first uh, and leave last. That that was not Shaq. That was Kobe. (laughs) And that was Jordan. That was not Shaquille O'Neal. So, am I talking shit at Shaq? Uh, Well, I suppose. But I just want... Don't get carried away, Shaq. When you played, there were several people like, you know... Imagine if Shaq tried all the way how good he would be. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Would I say that to Shaq's face? Now, that's a totally... If I were on stage and Shaq were in the crowd, maybe, but in any format in the world, Shaq's going to be more popular than I am. In my house, Shaq would be more popular than I am. So, anyway, uh, would I say it to him? Well... If we were friends, <laughs> we were talking shit, then then yes, I would say it to him. Uh, I was thinking about like saying things to people's face just the other night on Saturday when I went up to Roswell, Georgia to close out that comedy show I mentioned previously, uh, which was a great, great show. I had a really good time, but I pulled up at the venue and I parked like one, you know, right across the street from it in a parking lot whose business had a massive, massive Blue Lives Matter flag flying. And I thought, this is not a good sign for my set. It is not going to go well. And it's a it's a really 
It's a really... I've never seen a blue... Li- I mean, it was like a, a, a life-size, huge at the top of a flagpole, Blue Lives Matter flag. The, the, the blue line surrounded by all the black. That's what, you know, that flag with the blue was surrounded by all the black. I don't know why they chose black. Probably just the, you know, because black represented bad and they are the, the force within it. Anyway, it's, uh, it was the only flag flying on the flagpole and it's just strange and ominous and authoritarian and fucking fascist is what I felt. And I was thinking, I'm not going to do any material about the cops inside the, uh, inside the show. <laughs> but I did. I mean in an inadvertent way, but I got I got there with my distrust for authority. But it's a really it's a really like authoritarian flag. I get it if you're, you know, 17 generations of police officers. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just a weird authoritarian symbol to, to me to see up there. What there was not even a United States flag on there. So, I did not think it boded, boded well for my time uh, Saturday night, but as it turned out, I had, had a real fun time. And the crowd was, the show was way too long, um, but the, the crowd was with it all the way till the end. So, would I have talked? I'm not going to walk into a police station and run my fucking mouth, just like a cop wouldn't run into a Black Lives Matter meeting and run his mouth. So, I guess... What I'm trying to do is excuse myself for my cowardice. <laughs> uh, right? I guess. I don't know. What, it's free, free. Speech is free until someone punches you in the mouth. And that's 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 kind of how it should be, I guess. Should it be? No, then that's authoritarianism. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but... Was it just a weird, a weird flag? No, speaking of that show... You'll be so proud of me being grown because if you've been listening to the podcast, you've and 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 thinking of my cowardice, you know that I've mentioned several times how it'd be so nice just to enjoy a cold beer in on the drive home from like thirty-five or forty minutes away or whatever it is. And so Saturday night after my set, I stopped off at a gas station. I walked in. I bought a sixteen-ounce Coors. And I pour, I, and I got a styrofoam cup, so I wasn't brave all the way. I wasn't just like drinking at a stoplight, stoplight. But um, well, that's foolish too. And that's the old rule: never drink at the stoplight. <laughs> right, because they're not going to see four teenagers in the car as long as they're not holding beers to their lips. We won't pull them over. I don't think so. Uh, anyway, I I got a a beer, a 16 ounce, one of those aluminum kind of things that bends in with a triangular, it looks like a, looks like a missile, I would, ima- I would imagine a missile looked like in the 1960s, and I got a Coors for less than $2, I got a styrofoam cup and a plastic lid, and I poured the beer into the cup, threw the bottle, the can away, or whatever you call the thing. And drank my Coors all the way back to the city of Atlanta and finished it right about the time I pulled into my driveway. And I was glad that I did that. Because I don't think, if I read the law correctly, I don't think you can go to jail for that. 
<laughs> Cops listening, like, we'll take you to jail for fucking anything, man. Don't worry about that. I just mean, uh, I didn't drink at the show, so if I have a beer on the way home, it's just an open container. I'm not going to be above .08, oh, unless you shotgun the damn thing, which I didn't. So I drove home in a driving rainstorm, which gave me even more confidence. You know, everybody's going 45 miles an hour on the highway. So I didn't think any cop was going to be looking for a middle-aged dude. and Yeah, middle-aged white dude uh, to pull over and interrogate in the pouring driving rain. Though, you know, if you ever drive back to the city, like any big city, I imagine around 11 o'clock on a, on a Saturday night, you're going to perceive that there are a lot of other people driving from outside the city to go into the city to, uh, to drink of its nectar, <laughs> to, to take all that it has to offer a younger person coming in from outside the city. So there's a certain energy on the highways that feed the city later on a you know, Friday or Saturday night, people coming in Saturday night in Atlanta, I'm going to go big. And so it's got a little bit of a, uh, like I said, there's an energy on the highway, the inbound highways, and a bit of sloppiness, and a bit of uh, youthful exuberance. Um, So there are cars like, you know, God, I hope this guy picks a lane and doesn't hit me. You know, this car is going 600 miles an hour. These kids over here are going 14 miles an hour because they're all staring at their phones when they should be driving, that sort of thing. Anyway, by the time we or I exited my exited the highway, uh, there was a cop waiting at the bottom of the exit. And, and he or she could have turned right, um, but, as a, but didn't. And this cop is sitting there waiting, kind of waiting to turn right. They're probably on their laptop or phone or whatever. And there are five of us behind that car. And nobody is honking wisely. And nobody is like, hey, dude, you know, there's no prohibition against going right on red. But what was funny is after the cop finally moved his fucking car and let us go, that's authority. Yeah, prick, move. So we can go, no, I'm going to be a cop and sit here because I have authority from the badge and the gun. And I get it. I'm bitter about it. I'm kind of bitter, but that's all you're doing, making us wait just because you can. So fuck you. Okay. All right. All right. But what was funny is, so you know how the, the, so the cop turns right and goes up the hill and there are three lanes and, and we easily could have driven past the cop. But what was so interesting to see is all five of us, well, all five of the cars in front of me, I should say, um, instead of going at their normal pace and passing the cop, they all formed as they all merged into a single file line behind the cop. <laughs> like, I don't know if you have, if it would re- be really bad if that cop pulled you over, but you know at least they can't pull you over if you're two cars behind them. That's the feeling. That's what I would have thought if I were, if I really didn't want to be pulled over. I didn't want to be pulled over because I had a can of beer in my car, but uh, or a, you know I was drinking a beer, but I was uh, I, I eventually went past and let those kids sit behind the cop, who then made it you know wildly illegal to everybody and dangerous you know left turn left U turn across traffic, 
that all of us would have gone to jail for, except a cop is a cop, so the cops can do what the cops are going to do. And, and Shaq's a cop. So that adds complexity to Shaq with my guys. It was just funny to see sort of a centipede <laughs> form out of, out of five or six cars that were uh, stationed uh, alongside and behind the cop, all of a sudden form one single line because we, nobody wants to get in, nobody wants to deal with a fucking cop, even if it's Shaq. Because <laughs> Shaq's going to teach you a lesson and he's going to forget that he was out of shape and he probably should have won more championships. I don't fucking know, but uh, it was pretty funny to see. Also, my wife, I don't know the last time you have been out for a fancy dinner, but uh, my wife took me out for a fancy dinner for Father's Day. And I think maybe we've gone out twice in the last, I mean, for a nice dinner, we've gone out twice, you know, since COVID, I'd say. And I don't know, I don't know, I get a lot of good data, good rich data about my listeners, but I don't get socioeconomic status, so I don't know how hard you ball, which I'm sure advertisers want to know. Like, hey, dude, you have listenership, but are they, like, moneyed, or are they going to be, like, poor comics or broke comics who uh, are going <laughs> to buy stamps.com? And the answer is, I don't know that young people fucking even know what the post office is, so... Uh, who is buying? I, I don't know. I don't know who buys stamps.com. And I don't know your demographic as far as uh, your race and your socioeconomic status. And I don't, I don't need to know. The, but you know who knows it? Probably Spotify. But they don't tell it to me or uh, they're probably waiting to sell it to me. Anyway, I don't know the last time you've been out to a nice dinner. But it occurred to me that... The foodie revolution, with all the TV shows about food, Top Chef, Project Chef, Last Chance Kitchen, um, you know, all the, the Tom Colicchio, Anthony Bourdain universe, probably has done a couple interesting things, one of which is it's made the chefs, it's, it's probably, here's what's probably happened. It's probably given the customer even more cause to be a fucking snobbish, pretentious uh, prick, and no, and and you know walk in knowing more than the restaurant. Uh, my foie gras is not normally, you know, I, this is a little, it's a little fruit forward. But I do like he's he's letting the vegetables. He's, he's respecting the ingredients and letting them tell the story as opposed to overseasoning them. I don't know. I, I imagine that's happened. So where the, the customer in the restaurant has become even more of a prick because they've seen all these shows that make them feel like they're experts. And maybe they actually are. But when I worked in restaurants, it was, it was like, can I get the fish? <laughs> and I'm like, here's the fish. How about the steak? And here's the steak. Needless to say, it's a lot more specialized as everything else is in the world today. Uh, so you have these customers who are probably empowered to be bigger pricks or feel entitled to be bigger pricks. But then you have restaurants probably and chefs who have become deified and so highly celebrated 
that they probably can get away with whatever they want and have fucking schmuckos like me not know any better. And so I'm, I like a nice meal and I feel like I can tell if I'm eating a nice meal and it's subjective, of course, but I I feel like I know I'm eating a nice meal and I'm not being, you know, just salted and buttered to death. Uh, but I don't know enough to, I don't know enough to, I'm never going to send anything back, but I don't know enough to be confident in saying this is not right or this is different than the northern Italian interpretation of a traditional dish. I'm just not that guy. Uh, so what I feel is like I run, I run into the, it's an authority issue, dude. It always is with you. It's a power thing, but I feel like, and this happened when we went out to this nice dinner, that the chef can fucking get away with, and the restaurant can get away with whatever they want from me, (laughs) because I'm not going to say anything, so I just have to accept that they're doing it the kingly, queenly, chefly way, right? It's so pretentious, the chef tonight is serving a, like, okay, the dude, he's back there. I know who, it's okay. But chef has conjured up something magical this evening. All right, all right, okay. So the reason I say that is we got this, the the place we went to, I'm not going to shout him out. I'm, I'm not going to not shout him out. I just, uh, I don't know. It's the I don't want to distract from it. The nice restaurant in the city of Atlanta and also a restaurant that was not sold out. Okay, so we tried to go to another restaurant and it was sold out. And so we went to this other restaurant. So that'll tell you what a little bit, you know, it's not it wasn't the one it was it was near the one. Anyway, the salad that we got and shared, we're going to split the salad and we're going to split the oyster appetizer. It was just soaked in fucking dressing. When I'm not a, a huge fan of dressing, I like the I like to respect the ingredients. I like to taste the lettuce and the tomatoes and the peppers. And it was to my palate soaked. And uh, I was my I was joking with my wife like I can't you know I of course I'm not gonna. My wife is a bit of a foodie, more foodie than I am, and she watches those shows. So. She, for all I know, maybe is like, this is the rare Swiss, Swiss Vietnamese preparation of this dish, which requires way too much fucking salad dressing. And it might be the right thing. She might know that. So I'm not going to immediately go, this thing has too much fucking salad dressing on it and ruin her experience. I'm grown. I've been in the trying not to ruin my relationship game for a long time. But I let her eventually be like, come to that. Yeah, it's kind of, I'm, I'm like, what do you think of the salad? And she's like, it's good. It's, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of dressing on the bottom and maybe mixing it up. And, of course, just saying that it's on the bottom and that there's a salad part above it makes me think, of course, because I, not from my wife, but from the restaurant, of course, I don't understand eating. And the dressing should be on the bottom. And now I have to toss it up at the table and all this um it just had way too much fucking dressing on it. But the joke is on me because I can't say anything. <laughs> what am I going to say to the server? Excuse me. And 
sure enough, the service, by the way, was phenomenal. The server came over and said, how, how was the salad? And my wife said, uh, great, thanks. And my wife was looking at me. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. But she thought I was looking at her like, are you going to fucking tell the server that it had too much dressing? And none of us said anything. And who knows? It could have been exactly how it should have been. And I was wrong. The other thing that the 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 omniscience, I suppose, of the cele- the the chef and the restaurant knowing more about everything than you do, which is a place you want to eat, by the way, the place where they know more about what they're doing than you, because you're in good hands, probably. Uh, just give some some wiggle room. Like it probably was an hour between if it wasn't an hour it was 45 minutes between the time we finished the appetizer the overdressed salad and then the entrees came out and we were having a nice warm chat and bullshitting and cutting up and having some wine and having a nice time so it wasn't like where the fuck's the food and we have to get home and there's a babysitter and all that uh, babysitter is no chill nancy <laughs> Oh, is the baby asleep? Oh my gosh, I didn't mean to fucking yell so loud when I came in. She's not asleep, but she's going to hear your voice, and then she's going to want to come out and party with you. So please shut the fuck up. wasn't like that. Like, we have to get home to No Chill Nancy. It was just nice and easy. Uh, but it was like 45 to an hour before the entree came out. <laughs> and during that nice conversation, after a while, we're like, right, you hungry? Did we already pay? What's going on here? No, we haven't had the entree yet. We were joking that the the power resides with the chef and the restaurant because we just don't have the expertise. Like to say uh, to to know. Oh no, it's the latest in douche Euro Nouveau New York Atlanta San Francisco Zurich dining. Uh, the cool thing to do and what the the people who you want to be like and we'll prey on your insecurity is the people who you want to be like they take an hour between the appetizers and the entrees <laughs> they could for all i know uh and i just it struck me as funny that you're just i've for the d-bag who knows more about food who has like a level above my wife's knowledge they would be like hey what the fuck's going on why is it taking so long but i'm like i don't know i guess this is the this is what we do now we wait uh a whole month before we get the entree is this a hardship no is this does oh my gosh does this require an iota uh does my uh, of bravery or courage to have endured that meal of course not or was I brave in driving home with that goddamn can of beer open? No. And and I say that because I learned that an NFL player has finally, while having an active NFL career, come out as gay. And I think that is the most awesome thing. I think it's the most awesome thing ever. And I believe his name is Carl Nassib, and I believe he plays for the Raiders, and that's courage, and that's bravery, and and I don't know if he's good. I don't. I mean, it said he. I think it said he'd been in the NFL for six years. But how important is that? 
And how fucking ridiculous is that guy is doing that? He's coming out in the, the hyper macho world of the NFL. Hyper homophobic NFL world, right? Aaron Hernandez allegedly was uh, maybe struggling with issues around his sexuality and couldn't come out because he lived and in, in, in worked in an incredibly homophobic environment. Massachusetts. <laughs> no, the NFL. And this guy, finally, there's an NFL player who came out, and I think, I think it's fucking so courageous and awesome. And think about what it means for all those, uh, for all those people, all those kids who know that they're gay and like playing football. Or like playing baseball. Baseball fucking players are even bigger fucking meatheads in some ways. Anyway, uh, my gesture of uh, enduring a meal and uh, bravely drinking a can of beer, it just, it just it warped. My perspective is warped by the bravery of Carl Nassib to come out and just be like, you know, it's going to cost me some shit and might be some headaches and it's the right thing to do. I want people to know representation is important and uh, here, here we are. And uh, I, it's those kind of stories. It's, it's not those kind of stories. It's those kind of actions that all of a sudden just change the game. No pun intended. They just... Everything is different now that there is a guy in the NFL, and if he's had a six-year career, he's got to be pretty good. That now young gay kids have a player in the NFL who's out. And salute to him, and uh, it's too bad he's on the fucking Raiders. <laughs> no, I, I, you know. I'm from California, and the Raiders occupy a very special place in California history. <laughs> and Chargers fans, there are certain Charger fans that welcome the Raiders coming to town and would uh, do their best to get into stabbing brawls in the stadium. And then there are other San Diegans who, when the Raiders came to town and all their fans, they would uh, leave town. <laughs> they're fucking raiders it's right there in the name it's like boy scout anyway big salute to carl nasib and you know what i'll continue the the briefly continue the sports perspective here on this podcast which i'm probably the first time i've ever talked about sports and i i'm aware of it as much as anything i don't really follow it but i believe and and also speaking of being out and professional, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi just agreed, who are two of the greatest basketball players, greatest basketball players, greatest doesn't matter if they're women, fucking greatest basketball players of all time. <laughs> they have I'm fucking doesn't matter what their gender is. They just were selected to their fifth fifth Olympics team. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine that? 20 years of being an Olympic, 20 years of being good enough to be one of whatever it is, 13, 11 
how many ever people to represent your country in the Olympics. That's incredible. Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. Diana Taurasi is my all-time favorite. Um, I think also Diana Taurasi is... And by the way, when you're finished, and you probably already have finished, I don't know if you finished or not, but when you're done listening to this, go look at the Wikipedia pages for Diana Taurasi, T-A-U-R-A-S-I, and Sue Bird, and look at their accomplishments. And you know what? You have to say they might go on the list. The problem with putting one female basketball player on the list is there are a few that are that that are so good that you can't just say like one person and not think of any others. Like Wayne Gretzky, you could probably put on the list for hockey because nobody else I don't think is in the ballpark. Basketball, there's nobody on the list, right? Because uh, you think, well, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, that sort of thing. There's Sue Bird, there's Tarasi, there is the uh, other player from Connecticut who retired from the WNBA who apparently was better than all of them, and I can't remember her name at the moment. Um, remember, to be on the list, you have to be the only person just about anybody thinks about when they think about your vocation. So, uh, not, so Gretzky, I guess, Gretzky's still on the fucking list. What are we talking about? When you think of skateboarding, you think of Tony Hawk. That kind of thing. So uh, salute to Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird for just five consecutive Olympic appearances. That's amazing. That is fucking amazing. And uh, But above all else for today, the biggest respect to Carl Nassib for coming out. And uh, you have a supporter in the Getting My Act Together podcast. So for the listeners, I appreciate you. The listener. Who else am I fucking talking to? Have a great week. Uh, I'll be at Limerick tonight, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday at the Punchline, featuring for Brent Morin. And that's right. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you on Friday.